0: Hey guys, I am so excited to uh, introduce you to my former youth pastor, Matt Borst. Um, just wanted to tell you guys a little bit of our, our background. Uh, Matt and I went to Ankeny Free Church together a long, long time ago. <laughs> uh, and we were just talking, I don't I don't know that you were ever actually my youth pastor, because I was church hopping so much. So kids, don't church hop. it makes it <laughs> worse for everybody pick a church and make them your home church and do everything there um that's what i eventually ended up doing but it was after matt was gone so i missed out on a lot so um but matt right now you are in indiana and do you want to tell us a little bit about uh village to village and what your heart for ministry is there
1: yeah so um yeah i live in south bend indiana and uh, we uh, have been here for a couple years now and uh, we started a nonprofit about uh, almost 10 years ago uh, where um, started out as a fundraising arm uh, for families that are wanting to to go through the adoption process uh, domestically uh, as well as internationally um, and that's led into um, doing some training uh, with some material that uh, my wife and I, another coworker of mine, uh, that we found, uh, of just called trauma-informed care, and uh, really helping uh, families, parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, school teachers, really anyone working with kids. Um, how do you how do you work with kids from hard places? Kids that have experienced uh, trauma, and uh, really, it's about seeing beyond. Uh, behaviors and, uh, and seeing the needs of the of the kiddos and loving them uh, the way that Jesus loves people and just knowing some basic information is helpful uh, for us to to try to help uh, build empathy with uh, parents and teachers and, and all sorts of uh, people working with uh, with kids.
0: Cool. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the the new housing project that you guys are looking to get started.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that, that we've seen is just a huge need for kids as they uh, age out of foster care, meaning that when they turn 18, um, you know, not, uh, not being supported. Uh, they're no longer in foster care. Uh, so they kind of transition to uh, uh, next phase of life with really no support. Um, I know that uh, I, have, I have kids, five kids and um, you know, when they turned 18, I didn't just kick them to the curb and say, "Good luck." Um, and that in, in all seriousness, though, that, that's kind of what happens to, to kids when they uh, turn 18. And so we're um, building a, a community, uh, an intentional neighboring community uh, that's specifically designed to uh, help kids that, uh, that turn 18. Uh, that need a place to live, first of all, um, and then partnering them in duplexes with, um, with kind of a, a mentor role model, uh, people that uh, are just there to help them transition um, to that next phase of life. Um, it's really relationally driven. Uh, it's about how do we uh, be friends? How do we teach them how to cook and give them rides when they need rides? And it's a lot less about program and much more about friendship and, uh, and relationships and uh, just giving them that support uh, that they need. Uh, so we're in the process of raising money to do that and uh, hopefully uh, see some, some building uh, start even uh, sometime this fall.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think the, the cool thing about it is that it's already a proven model. Um, that you, you've seen it work in other um, metro areas. Um, and so they're, you're just bringing it home and um, plugging it in there and hopefully it'll work just as successfully as it has in other locations. Um, but yeah, it sounds like an awesome project. Anybody who I share it with is like, yes, let's do it here. Let's make that happen. Um, so yeah, no, I just, I wanted you to give a little intro on that. But um, so the our topic for today, guys, that we're going to be talking about is just um, trauma and um, how to love people through that. Um, And I couldn't think of anybody better to, to give this talk than, um, Matt. And, uh, so I just, I want to hear from you on, uh, your expertise of that. And, um, I'm going to just hand it over to you at this point and, uh, you guys just hope you enjoy it.
1: All right. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. So when we, um, when we went through our adoption process, Um, We had three kids and uh, we quickly realized that, uh, you know, parenting kids uh, with different backgrounds um, is a lot more challenging um, and just really not uh, not entering into that with um, a knowledge that like, hey, um, you know, love alone can't really, um, you know, make up for uh, lost years and and all sorts of things that have happened uh, in their lives. Um, And that sent us on a search for just how are we doing this? How can we uh, parent our kids more effectively? Um, How can we uh, have compassion and empathy uh, towards the things that they've experienced uh, early on in their lives? And and really, we just became aware of of what's called trauma. And uh, there's no uh, foster or adoptive experience where a kid has not Experienced ta- uh, trauma in their life. Um, you know, anytime that, that there's the need for for foster care or adoption, that means that the, the kiddos have, have experienced trauma. And so, this is really a, a journey that that my wife and I have been on for the last uh, about eight years, and uh, we've learned a lot. And uh, I wouldn't say we're experts, but we're we're continuing to learn and uh, trying to help other people do. Um, all the same things and and learn and and equip people that are entering into foster care, entering into um, adoption. Um, A lot of times we do a great job of cheerleading and saying, hey, you should do this, but we haven't really done a great job of equipping them on how to do it and do it effectively. Um, And that's where our training comes in. So um, when we talk about trauma, I mean, this could be, you know, what we call little T traumas or big T traumas. It can be anything from uh abuse to neglect to to seeing domestic violence in the home and uh, you know all of us have probably experienced some type of trauma Um, you know it could be a broken arm it could be spending in uh, a lot of time uh, in an intensive care unit when you were smaller Um, so all of those things uh, are considered to be trauma but we're really uh, focused on on just the, the beginning of life for these kids um, the things that they miss out on um, and so uh, I'm going to share my screen with you guys this is a um, presentation that I've done multiple times and uh, want to just kind of explain a few things um, this is called the ACES study uh, we teach this we use this um, in a lot um, of our trainings and um, ACES, first of all, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, and uh, this was just an incredible study that uh, really um, was stumbled into. It wasn't uh, uh, something that they set out to find, uh, but uh, it was something that uh, uh, they kind of stumbled into. It was actually uh, um, something that was done in an obesity clinic, um, and when... Um, this guy that was seeing all of his patients, um, that had successfully lost, uh, a large amount of weight, um, then kind of drop out of the program and pretty much gain all of that weight back. Uh, he began to ask questions and interview with the people that had had, um, the weight gain and what he came to find out was that a large majority of these people had been sexually abused. And, uh, and so he began to, to ask the question like, is there a correlation to this? Um, and in, in fact, in one uh, interview with this uh, particular lady, um, you know, her, her reason for gaining weight back was uh, so that she wouldn't look attractive anymore because she was afraid that, uh, uh, that the sexual abuse would happen again um, in her life. And so this really um, started uh, this guy to, to think, And uh, they ended up doing another research with about 17,000 people, primarily um, upper to middle class people um, who had jobs, who had healthcare and access to healthcare um, that uh, were over 60% white. Uh, So this is not something that um, was done uh, with uh, in in a poverty situation. It was all people who had you know, pretty much uh, stable incomes, great health care, great jobs. And, uh, and this is what they found out um, is that they asked all of these questions um, and it's kind of three types of ACEs uh, broken into abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. And so you can experience abuse physically, emotionally, or sexually. Um, you can experience neglect physical neglect or emotional neglect. And then household dysfunction, um, things like mental illness in the home, incarcerated relatives, whether that's mom, dad, um, the, the mother um, being a victim of domestic violence or uh, things like that, any type of substance abuse in the home, and then divorce or separation. And these are actually are the questions that um, come from um, the Uh, ACES study so they would ask questions like this prior to your 18th birthday did a parent or other adult in your house often or very often swear at you insult you put you down or humiliate you or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt if you answer yes to that score or to that question you get a score of one and then it goes on did a parent or other adult in the home often or very often push grab, slap, or throw something at you, um, or even hit you so hard that uh, left marks and you're injured? If so, then yes, you get another score of one. And so it doesn't matter um, which of these that you would answer yes to. Um, Basically is, uh, are your parents separated or divorced? If yes, you get a a score of one. Um, And what happens is you add up um, all of these scores and that's what gets you your ACE score and your ACE um, score of um, your adverse childhood experiences. So what what happens though is that there are these lasting impacts um, that um, the ACEs predict in your life and uh, this is just kind of a, um, a little illustration traumatic brain injury, fractures, burns, and you can kind of read all of these. But I think what's more um, more telling is, is this here. Um, so you can kind of see that just in the general population, 33% report no ACEs, okay, just in, in general. 33% of people in this, this world report no ACEs. 51% report one to three ACEs and then 16% report four to 10 ACEs. And um, so what that means, um, the kids that we deal with, kids that I deal with, uh, I work with a lot of kids in foster care, I've yet to meet a a kid in foster care who has an ACE score of six or lower. Most of them probably have seven or eight, and um, which you can see. So what happens here is that the risks of, uh, of, These behaviors, smoking, if you have an ACE score of zero, your chances of being a smoker is one in 16. If you have three ACEs, it's one in nine, uh, with seven or more, um, it is one in six. Um, If you, to become an alcoholic, it's one in 69, one in nine, and then one in six. Uh, Things like heart disease, one in 14, one in seven, one in six, and then attempts in suicide is uh, 1 in 96, 1 in 10, and um, uh, I guess uh, that's kind of, maybe I can close that, 1 in 5. So these are crazy numbers to think that, uh, that kids that are under the age of two, under the age of even one, that these are the predictors that happen in their life. Uh, the chance of attempting suicide goes from 1 in 96 to one in five, and um, what's even crazier is that um, it, with a a score of six or more, um, kids die on average um, in their adult life on average twenty years earlier than uh, than someone who has an A score of zero. And so, all of this to say is that. Um, when, I, when we look at the, the science, when we look at the effects and the impacts of, of, of toxic stress, these things that happen in our lives, um, it affects us physically, it affects us emotionally, and it affects us um, even in just how long we live life. Um, so when we, again, looking at these things, the physical abuse doesn't necessarily have to happen to you, um, but it, it's just even being present. And it doesn't matter which of these six, I mean, you might have all four um, in this category and maybe one in here, Uh, that doesn't matter at all. Um, It's just any of these 10 ACEs uh, are these predictors. And then I think this is a good slide that illustrates um, a kid, he's burning into the wall, you know, I need love and then the mom is like, oh, he's just doing that to get attention. Um, and I think that's sometimes how we treat, how we treat kids, um, is that, oh yeah, you know, he just is doing that to, uh, uh, to get attention. So with that, um, so what does that all mean? You know, those are all like kind of depressing things. Um, (laughs) and, uh, we're in the business of offering hope. Uh, we want to offer hope that like, um, when we are aware of these things, um, first of all, a lot of people start counting up how many ACEs do I have personally? And um, it's being aware of those things and being able to go to our past uh, in order to make sense of it um, so that we can move forward and, and, uh, and move out of that. Um, but what we, when we think about um, in our context of helping foster parents and helping adoptive parents, um, what we what we want to do is we want to build empathy. Um, when I think about Jesus um, and um, think about his life, um, when I think about empathy in Jesus, uh, uh, the story that comes to mind is the, par- the parable he tells uh, of the Good Samaritan. And um, I'm going to read it. Uh, this is in Luke chapter 10. And uh, um, it says this. It says, just then a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Jesus answered, well, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? His teacher said, well, that you love your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor uh, as, as well um, as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus, do it and you will live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just uh, how would you define neighbor? And I, I think that's an interesting question that this, uh, that this guy is asking. Uh, because he's trying, to, he's trying to, as the message, that's what I'm reading out of, says, you know, looking for a loophole. It's like, okay, but who's, who's really my neighbor? And, uh, and Jesus answered by telling, by telling this story. There was once a man uh, traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. Uh, They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. And that's a good thing, right? Hopefully this priest, you know, okay, a religious person, uh, and uh, it's on the way. He's going to save the day. But but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side and totally avoided the situation. Well, then a Levite, uh, a religious man, showed up. And he also avoided the, the injured man. and so as Jesus is telling this story, he's telling this story to a group of Jews and uh, and in the context of that, um, he's he's using um, his very context, the very culture in which these people are growing up right um, He's growing up um, and they understand who the Levites were. Um, they understand who the priests were. And he's he specifically uses these two groups of people to prove a point. Um, he's like, these are the religious people, right? These are the people who should, quote unquote, know better. Um, and then he gets to um, kind of the arrow of the story. And he says, a Samaritan uh, traveling the road came on him. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him and he gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take good care of him. If it costs you any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. And then Jesus says, what do you think? Which of the the three became a neighbor to the man uh, that was attacked by the robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. And so in the context, I mean, Samaritans uh, were the group of people that the Jews probably hated the most or had the most animosity towards. Um, and I think that that Jesus is proving a point. He makes the hero of the story, um, this, this Samaritan person of all people, okay? Um, it's the Samaritan, the evil, the, the people that we despise. and And I think what is interesting is that he tells the story um, and he's he's answering the two questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And who's my neighbor? And I think it's a really interesting story. Um, and, you know, we don't have the benefit of being Jesus um, to be able to see the needs of people uh, beyond who we are um, on the outside. We don't have that benefit. And, and when I think about um, the aces and when I think about being able to um, to see people uh, beyond, beyond behavior, I, I feel like that 's a, a window into being able to see people as Jesus sees them, um, having empathy, being able to to feel the feelings that maybe someone else uh, is actually feeling and taking those feelings upon themselves and that 's what this man, this Samaritan person that 's what he did. he He took the feelings of that of that man who was laying there, who had been beat up. And he was like, "I'm going to make a difference because I feel the empathy." Um, he put himself in his shoes. He didn't. He didn't look at him and say, "Well, he probably, uh, he probably got that there, or got in that situation because of, um, you know, he brought it on himself, or you know, something and making an excuse." And um, and he treated him in the way that he would want to be treated. Uh, even to the point where it cost him something, right? He, he was willing to pay for, um, like here's all the money to cover the expenses, and if it's even more than this, I'm willing to come back and pay for, for even more. And so when I think about um, you know, what we do, um, it is, it's so important to build empathy. Um, it's so important to, to build empathy um, for, for kids, um, and so when we deal with parents, like we want uh, parents to have empathy towards their kids and have a, a respect for, you know, maybe the things that they experienced in their life and not downplay that. Um, and that's an important an important role. But when I think about teens and I think about you guys, um, uh, it's just as important uh, to have empathy. It's just as important to, to see trauma uh, that maybe people have experienced. We don't know what they've gone through. We don't know why people are acting the way that they're acting. And it's so important to take time to get to know, to get to hear uh, other people's stories, other people's experiences. You know, I've had the benefit of of moving around. Um, you know, I've kind of dragged my kids from Iowa, they lived in Chicago. Um, we get to uh, live in a, a neighborhood that was the third most diverse Uh, zip code in the nation. Uh, They had uh, Muslim friends, they had Hispanic friends and got to meet people from all over the world um, and be able to hear their stories, take time to hear people's stories um, and that helps us build empathy. Uh, Now we live in Indiana and it's uh, it's an important thing to not just cast judgment because of an outward um, appearance or because of what someone might be saying, but really taking the time to, um, to get to know the person, get to know the story behind um, the person that you're seeing and that their realities um, are probably a lot different uh, than uh, the realities that, that we um, have grown up with. And so um, as I just think about it, I think about um, maybe Uh, maybe jesus um, gives us things like science things like um, these studies uh, to help us build empathy and i think that's a beautiful gift the most beautiful part of this is that um, that kids can can heal Um, all of us can heal Um, the physical toxic stress affects the brain physically um, and you can see it on brain scans. Uh, but what's the, the most amazing part is that our brains can like rewire themselves because of the plasticity um, in their brains. To me, that screams a redeeming God. Mm-hmm. That, that is about redeeming the world, right? Making, taking broken things, making them new. Um, and that's what he's about. That's what he's been about um, from the time of creation and to think that, um, that people who come to us with broken brains or, you know, wrongly wired brains, not of their own, um, circumstances, but because of things that maybe have been done to them, that, that those things can, can heal themselves with proper, uh, with proper things and tools. And, and, uh, and that to me is, is amazing to see that God, uh, uh created our our bodies in such a way um that they can heal themselves and be redeemed even physically um as well as spiritually which is so cool so you have any questions for me josh
0: yeah um we've got a little bit of time here so i'm gonna i i got a question from a student um but i have a couple of my own too so First of all, just thank you so much for um, that insight. Um, I received that that trauma-informed care training when I was a, a special education associate in Des Moines, um, and it was hugely valuable to me um, in in that profession. Um, but especially as as a parent, <laughs> um, I feel like anytime we you and I have a conversation, it's like it, it challenges me to be more empathetic and more um, quick to listen slow to speak and um, so yeah just <clears throat> it's it's huge <laughs> in in any relationship to to be listening first and um, seeing how we can be a blessing to person across the table from us um, I'll start with um, Ellie's question um, Ellie asked uh, how can I show someone that I'm there for them without being pushy especially if they've been through trauma. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, One of the things that that we like to say is that everything that we do is under the umbrella of connection. Um, And so if we're, uh, I'll give examples of like, if we're disciplining our children, uh, if we have to discipline them, we wanna do that in a way that's that's connecting. Um, And so uh, a a good example of this is um, instead of sending, uh, a kid to their room, like isolating them from from us, we want to bring them close. Um, and so instead of like when they're younger, doing like a time out where we isolate them, uh, we're gonna do a time in, bring them close and sit with them because it's connecting. Um, we can still discipline in connecting ways. And so as a, an answer to that question, um, I would say focus on connection. Uh, and the, the biggest thing um, that you can do uh, in connecting is listen. Um And uh, listen with a goal to to understand. Um, asking questions is also a good way. Um, but uh, if we have a goal of connection and trying to understand, um, then people are going to feel loved. Um, and that's what we want. Um, if we have a, uh, if we're listening for this idea of how how to help or how to fix, um, then sometimes that gives an impression that we're um, viewing that person as a project and, and that's not something that we would ever want to do. Um, and so I think taking the time to ask the questions, taking time to listen um, uh, will, will give us those opportunities to to be able to help when we can.
0: Right. Yeah, that's good. Um, one that, one that I've thought of is just, um, if you have somebody that is being triggered by past trauma Um, by something that's happening right in front of them that maybe to you seems like well this isn't that big of a deal why why is this thing making you react that big Um, what how would you um, inform that that person on how to handle that like is it is it their responsibility I guess to explain to them that, you know, this isn't as big of a deal as you're making it, or like, how, how would, how would you navigate that as somebody that's trying to be helpful to that person?
1: Yeah. So we always want to see the need behind the behavior. So, I mean, how that plays out with kids. Um, You know, we've had uh, a specific situation where um, a 10 year old um, um, that was never, Uh, sleeping in their bed a foster a foster child Um, and it became an issue uh, where the foster parents were like you need to sleep in your bed and every time um, they would go in he would be sleeping in his closet and they made it a big deal um, that uh, he was going to sleep in his closet they were trying to discipline him trying to say like you need to sleep in your bed not in your closet and uh, and so for me um, I thought, wow, that's just not normal. Um, and so what's the need behind the behavior? Um, and I told him, you know, maybe we should start asking some questions of like, why are you sleeping in the closet? Um, do you feel safe? You know, what's, what's going on? And after a while we came to find out that like, um, he was physically abused and the only place that he would find safety um, in his home is when he slept in a closet. And so he was in a strange place um, in a foster home that he had no idea who these people were. They were complete strangers. And uh, the only place that he felt safe was uh, in that closet. And it's such an important thing to understand um, this term felt safety. Um, You know, we all knew that the kid was safe in that foster home. We all knew that nothing was going to happen to that uh, little boy, but he didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so when he didn't feel safe, it caused him to do something that was, you know, maybe to us looked irrational, sleeping in the closet. That seems silly. Um, but to him, that's what he had to do to feel safe. And so we had to look beyond that behavior and see and ask questions, um, you know, about uh, about what's the need. So we tell parents all the time, you know, uh, get curious, not furious, and mm-hmm. uh, and try to see what 's causing the behavior because it could be something as simple as the smell of coffee um, because they were abused by someone who drank a lot of coffee mm-hmm. um, but wow. they are never able to express that wow. and so uh, just being able to to get curious, not furious is a, is a great tool that we all um, and the, the more questions we ask, the more understanding we 're going to get mm-hmm
0: yeah, that's really good. Um, and to think that even, you know, the smell of coffee can be a trigger to somebody like there's, there's just nothing you can do about that, you know, as a friend or as a parent. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, Another kind of a a sillier example, um, with my wife, um, about felt safety is that when she was probably junior high, maybe, you know, eighth grade, maybe, maybe a freshman, uh, it was summertime and she was riding her bike and, Uh, she had been playing tennis, so she had tennis rackets and tennis balls in her hand and riding her bike home down a big hill, fell and broke her arm. And so, um, how that plays out is that when we go on family bike rides, uh, she just would get so nervous and like telling the kids to slow down and be careful. And, and I kind of was like, what is, what's wrong with her? Why is she so (laughs) controlling my kids when we're just on a bike ride? Uh, but it was because of that, and we'll call it a little t trauma in her life, uh, that she was, um, you know, bringing that situation into the current day situation, un- unbeknownst to her, and um, really imposing um, the fact that, oh, I broke my arm on a bike, so I'm going to try to control um, that situation from happening uh, with my kids to the point of, like, it just made her, it makes her so nervous and she has so much anxiety. Um, and it wasn't until we were able to um, go through this material um, and see like, oh, that's why. Um, and so like now she's like, uh, she doesn't really uh, go on a lot of bike rides or if she does, she's aware of it. Um, and so um, she doesn't bring that situation or tries to not bring that situation into you know, the real, uh, the realness of of that activity so it's just a silly example of like she doesn't necessarily feel safe um in that but yeah it affects how she's um uh, kind of imposing that on everyone else that's that's in that uh, in that moment trying to enjoy just a simple bike ride
0: right yeah <laughs> um so one one last question because i know i gotta let you go here but um so a lot of what we've been talking about has been more about like, how can we love on these people that have been through trauma? And I, I feel like some of the students that are gonna be watching this have personally been through a significant amount of trauma. And so how what would you say to them as far as like, um, like what do, they, what do they do with these ACEs? If they look down that list and they're like, yeah, that's, that's me. Um, what would you say are some next steps um, for them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a whole nother um, (laughs) hour long introduction um, to what does it mean to what we call make sense of our past, make sense of our worth. Um, All of us have uh, experiences from growing up um, that that we kind of have to go back to. Uh, We don't go back to get stuck there, uh, but we go back to make sense of it so that we can move forward. Um, And that's a journey. Um, and that's a journey that a lot of times you need help with. Um, uh, that could be from yourself, uh, Josh, as a, as a youth pastor. That could be professionally, um, whether that's through uh, a counselor um, who's aware of these types of things. Um, but it also could just be being aware. When we are aware of how our past affects our, our present, um, you know, we can name that and be aware of it and we can start to recognize when that starts coming up Um, and so uh, but really it's a journey of healing that that really begins um, you know hopefully with yourself but also with the help of somebody else Um, and uh, it's also a spiritual journey and um, there's not really a quick fix but i would encourage that um, it's a journey that uh, is worth taking uh, because if you don't deal with it now, um, as, a, as a teenager, or young adult, um, you know, you become a 30-year-old um, who hasn't dealt with it. Um, and by that time, maybe you have kids of your own that you're kind of passing those things on to. Um, and, you know, you don't really want to, but, but you are. But if you can gain what's called, you know, a healthy attachment and being able to pass that on uh, to your kids, uh, I mean, that's an amazing gift that you can pass on. And so um, I would just say, um, like everything, I feel like everything's done in community. Um, and so, yeah, you can do it with yourself. Uh, you can do it um, and start that journey, but uh, also just with the help of a, uh, a mentor, youth pastor, counselor, whoever it might be.
0: Right. Because some of that stuff is going to be pretty heavy if you haven't dealt with it before. Um, and so having somebody there to walk you through it is huge. Yeah. Um, and we do have, luckily, we have uh, Cornerstone Counseling Center here just in Ames. It's right down the road. We just got it up and running. And um, at this point in the week, Steve Jones will have already talked about that quite a bit, which is great. Um, <clears throat> but we also, um, in Forged, we talked a while ago um, just about learning capacity and how there's a lot more plasticity in the brain earlier on. And so, like, the, the, the stage that you guys are at right now is perfect for learning quickly Um, and if you get you know my age or further (laughs) um, that that plasticity starts to slow down quite a bit and it it becomes harder and harder to relearn and retrain your brain and um, physiologically change um, what is there from from the trauma that you've already experienced so so now is the time you know to really tackle that and especially to reach out and um, tackle it, hopefully with somebody that um, can help you walk through that. Uh, And that's scary to do. Um, Finding a good counselor is a lot like dating. (laughs) Um, And you just, you gotta try it out and maybe the first counselor that you meet isn't a great fit, but you just keep trying. Um, And there's no shame in that. Um, There's a lot of podcasts that we watch that they're like, hey, yeah, I just got done with uh, my therapy session last week. I'm like, but you're like a, a world-renowned <laughs> counselor and stuff. Everybody should probably be meeting with somebody on a regular basis. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I have any other questions to bring up. Um, and again, I know we got to let you get going here, but um, is there any last um, thoughts that you wanted to get out there, Matt, as far as this topic?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I just am a, uh, a firm believer that um, uh, as, as you begin kind of your um, young adult life, that uh, focusing on what does it really truly mean to follow Jesus? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> when I think about that, um, I'm not saying what does it mean to be a good Christian? What does it mean to, you know, be... What you think other people want you to be, uh, but really just boiling it down to um, uh, what what does it really truly mean to follow jesus and when i when I read stories like this in in the gospels, it encourages me uh, because it uh, I see Jesus going uh, against the flow in so many ways, and um, uh, when I think about uh, the gospel, it's truly good news. And if it's not good news to you, then I, I think maybe the gospel that you're hearing isn't uh, quite accurate uh, because uh, following Jesus is amazing and um, building empathy, building compassion. Um, you know, these are the things that, uh, that should set us apart as, as different. And uh, I think that's a, an amazing thing that, uh, that we have the opportunity to, uh, to follow Jesus, but then in turn, to love others the way that he would love, uh, love us. So thanks for, for inviting me to do this, Josh. I
0: really yeah, it. yeah, no, I, I definitely appreciate you taking time out of your day um, and, and this crazy uh, couple weeks for you um, yeah. and um, having this conversation. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us here and that'll kind of close our time. But again, thank you so much for um, spending some time with us and um, yeah. So, God, just thank you so much for Pastor Matt and uh, his uh, his willingness to come and and talk about trauma-informed care and you know, how we can love people through that and even kind of process it ourselves. Um, we've been through some stuff, and I think we all have, to some certain extent, um, been through one thing or another. Um, so, God, we ask that by your Spirit you would help us to navigate those things. And that we would um, be able to navigate those things well with um, loved ones and people that um, that that need that support and that um, that sense of belonging. Um, help us to listen well. Help us to have a calm, um, peaceful spirit, um, regardless of um, how loudly our loved ones are processing um, what they've been through and. Um, God we just we love you and we want to emulate you to the best of our ability Um, and so just help us to do that this week and um, maybe even this fall as we hopefully go back to school at least in a um, a part-time basis and um, just help us to navigate those relationships and um, to spend time well um, loving on the people around us because Um, We we only have a limited amount of time with um, classmates and friends and um, so that we would just maximize that time for your kingdom and for uh, their benefit. Um, So, um, again, we just love you so much and we ask that you'd help us do these things. Pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks so much, Matt.
1: Yep. Thanks again.